And that video is straight out of 1994. Can you tell? Goodness. Can you open your Bibles with me, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 13? 1 Corinthians thir- uh, 13. It's the seventh book of the New Testament. Don't get fooled. There's a book called 1 Chronicles in the Old Testament. If you're in 1 Chronicles 13, you're learning something vastly different. You're learning about an ark being carried to Jerusalem. It has nothing to do with what we're talking about today. Um, but while you're turning there, in the 1980s, which was shortly before this video was filmed, believe it or not, in the 1980s, if you were going to go buy a car, you were likely going to buy a car from a Japanese car company. Because the Japanese car companies at this time were able to put out the best product for the lowest price. And so General Motors at this time wanted to compete with the Japanese car industry. And so they came out with their own brand of car, an American-based one, called Saturn in the 1980s. Well, it turns out they knew that they couldn't compete and they were failing at doing so. And so in 1994, the CEO at that time decided that if he couldn't compete with the quality of the product, well, then he was going to compete with the customer service experience of buying that product. You see, at that time, if you were going to go buy a car, you were likely going to be confronted with some kind of intimidating sales tactic, and you were going to be confronted with these kind of gimmicky loans with all kinds of hidden costs and all these kinds of things you didn't want to deal with, much unlike today, right? Um, But so if you were going to go buy a car, you were going to experience something like that. And so Saturn recognized this, and they came up with a brand new slogan or a campaign at that time called A Different Kind of Car Company, A Different Kind of Car, which was basically a no-hassle experience for the customer. And they said, no matter what, we're going to sell the cars to the customer based on the sticker price of the car only and nothing more. We're going to set a fair price for all trade-ins for cars. We're going to set a fair price, uh, a fair consistent interest rate for all cars. And then finally, we're going to treat all of our customers with respect and with trust. In fact, the CEO commended all of his employees to um, treat every customer as if it was your own mother buying the car. And so as a part of this huge campaign, they had this massive homecoming experience. They set up in Spring Hill, Tennessee, anybody that owned a Saturn was invited to come. And so they sent out 538,000 invitations, 38,000 people showed up, which is a lot of people for a car company, right? Took time off of work to come in and to um, experience this week with a bunch of Saturn owners. They brought in all kinds of carnival rides. They brought in free food for everyone. They brought in all kinds of celebrity musicians. It was this huge deal. 38,000 people showed up loyal to the brand of Saturn. In fact, four years after this campaign was launched, because of the way in which they treated their customers, they were rated number two in the world for car sales, number one in customer satisfaction, and number one in customer retention. Why? They didn't change their product. Nothing was different about the quality of the car itself. The Japanese were still making better cars. It's just they decided to to treat their customers with kindness. And that, in itself, the power of kindness alone created this huge loyalty to the Saturn brand. And that makes sense to us, right? We love kindness. We love to be shown kindness in our lives, do we not? I mean, we can all remember moments, little moments, right? Not even the big kind moments, but the little ones that have made an unmistakable impression in our mind of when people have been kind to us. I can remember being five years old. I can remember nothing else hardly about five, but I can remember this. My first day in a brand new classroom after we moved from Florida, a kid comes up after she introduces me to the class and he says, I'll be your friend. I'll show you around the classroom. He's still a friend to this day. A small act of kindness. There was another little girl in that class named Jennifer. She didn't know how to be my friend, right? So she just decided that she was going to approach me every day and ask if she could tie my shoes. And so every day she would come up to me and say, Justin, can I tie your shoes? And who's going to deny a good shoe tying, right? So 
every day. This was her little act of kindness, and I still remember it. All the way up even to the most recent act of kindness. I had a conversation with a friend I'm in school with just a couple weeks ago in which I was just sharing with him some stuff that I'm dealing with. And he, 10 days later after that conversation, he said he would pray in that moment, of course. 10 days later on a random Wednesday afternoon, he emails me and all he says is, Hey, Justin, just want to let you know I haven't forgot about our conversation. I'm still praying for you. Which is a big deal, right? You expect him to remember it then. But 10 days later, small acts of kindness. We all have these little Stories And today we're going to be talking about love is kind, continuing in this series entitled Love Is, which is looking at what love is. Believe it or not, can you believe that? So love, what love is for the Christian, right? A, a Christian understanding of a Christ follower. How does one love as a Christ follower? How does one love as God loves? And we're going very slowly through four verses of scripture. And this is week two, love is kind. So if you have your Bibles... You can open to 1 Corinthians 13, as I told you earlier. And I know you sat down a few minutes ago, but this is one of my quirks. Can we all stand together just out of reverence for the word of God today? Get your exercise in the rain. I know. We're going to start in verse 4 and read through verse the beginning of verse 8. It should be on the screens if you don't have your Bible. It says this. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Can you say amen to the reading of God's word? Let's have a seat, please, if you would. Thank you so much for doing that. And to, I just want to say a quick prayer for our message this morning. Um, this may be a bit formal, and I understand that, but this is a prayer from Soren Kierkegaard, who was a 18th, uh, 19th century, 1800s uh, philosopher, theologian, and he wrote a book entitled Works of Love. And he starts off his book with this beautiful prayer, and it's just inviting God to come be a part of this moment with us. Um, and I, I'm going to pray, and I know it's a bit formal, but if you'll indulge me, let's go before God in prayer as we invite him into this time of the message. Let's pray together. How could one speak properly about love if you were forgotten? You, God of love, source of all love in heaven and on earth. You who spared nothing, but in love gave everything. You who are love, so that one who loves is what he is only by being in you. How could one speak properly about love if you were forgotten? You who revealed what love is. You are Savior and Redeemer who gave yourself in order to save us all. How could one speak properly of love if you were forgotten, you spirit of love? You take nothing of your own, but remind us of that love sacrifice. Remind the believer to love as he is loved and his neighbor as himself. O eternal love, you who are everywhere present and never without witness where you are called upon. Be not without witness in what will be said here about love or about works of love. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, I found out a couple months ago that I was going to be speaking on the topic of kindness. And when I found that out, I was extremely nervous, right? And I'm not nervous because I'm, I don't know what kindness is or I, I, don't, I don't know what to say about it. But nervous because, quite simply, it could be a very banal or cliche message. Pastor Jeremy and I were talking about this series a couple days ago. And we were talking about it could essentially be boiled down to, well, be kind, and we all go home and have brunch together, right? We can just end the service right there. And so uh, there's ways of talking about kindness that you want to make it um, compelling and you want to make it transformative. And it's very difficult to do so because I began to think about 
kindness as a problem because it kind of is, right? Because we don't always act kindly when we should. So I, I thought about it. What, what is the problem of kindness? Well, the problem is not that we don't know what kindness is. We've all experienced kindness at some point in our lives, have we not? We all have those moments, as I talked about. If I were to place you in a given situation like right now and say, what is the kind thing to do? Most everybody would know exactly what they're supposed to do. If I place you in a room with an individual and you have a big plate of food and they have nothing on their plate, then the kind thing to do is to look them in the eye and tell them to get a job and pay for their own food. No, it's not, right? The kind thing to do in that moment is to share your meal with them. Kindness is very straightforward. It's right at hand. It's available. The problem with kindness is not that we don't know what to do. We don't know what kindness is. So it's not a matter of lack of knowledge. Two, it's not a matter of lack of ability either, is it? It's not that kindness is some expert skill. It's not on par with like learning to kick a 50-yard field goal or play like Claire de Lune on the piano. It's not a difficult thing to do. It just takes opening one's mouth and saying, I like this about you. It's very simple, right? Or taking out a note and saying, thank you for the gift, Justin, and putting it in the mail. It's a very simple thing to do. It doesn't take expert skill. It doesn't take a lot of time. So it's not a matter of knowledge, one. It's not a matter of ability, too. It just becomes a matter of not doing it, right? We all know how to do it. We occasionally have our kind moments, but then there's that disconnect, right? I could write the letter to that. I could cook a meal. I could visit. I could give somebody a ride to work. Or I could just watch TV or something else, right? That's kind of the way it goes. And so I wonder how effective it is for me to just say, be kind. Because it's essentially like, a parent trying to tell their child something over and over and over again, and it never happens. Like a teenager that keeps a dirty room, right? So dirty that there's like growths and things growing in the old cereal bowls that the CDC should be worried about. You know what I'm talking about? And the parent's going to come and just say, clean your room, and it never works. There's this disconnect between command and actual action. So I wonder, what is the problem? Is the problem that we are simply lazy? I don't think so. I think that's part of it, but I think there's other things involved. I wonder if the problem doesn't lie in our behavior as much as the problem lies in our perception, our understanding of kindness. That is, instead of just saying, be kind, maybe we could reconceptualize how kindness is viewed through the scriptures. That is, maybe put scriptures on like glasses and then view kindness through them versus kind of taking a self-evident understanding of what kindness is from the culture And moving on from there. So I want to change our eyes this morning. I want to change our hearts with the help of the Spirit of God. If we can begin to do that. And maybe that might lead to more consistent kind behavior. So in order to do that, I want to look at culture and its conception of kindness. Because that's what a lot of we're borrowing from, right? And so there's four main things about kindness that I've observed in culture over the last, what, couple weeks or so. That I wanted to talk about. And the first is this. Is that in culture, kindness is often idealized. Kindness is idealized. And what I mean by that is that kindness is often placed very far away in these very unbelievably talented, or not even just unbelievably kind people. People like Mother Teresa or Martin Luther King Jr., right? These people who exhibited kindness in every aspect of who they are, so much so that we look at them and we think, I could never spend an entire lifetime in the slums of Calcutta. So I'm not going to, I can't reach that level of kindness. And so kindness becomes this imperfect practice in our lives. It becomes untouchable. It becomes relegated to a few individuals. Or have you, have you ever seen CNN Heroes, for example? Right, this huge award show that CNN puts on. 
for these amazing philanthropists throughout the world, and I'm talking amazing people, people who like remove landmines from, war, from uh, areas stricken with civil war, and people who develop technology to do so, people who give electricity to students in Kenya who cannot read their books at night because it's dark outside and they can't afford enough oil to keep the lamps burning. And so they find ways to bring electricity to students in Kenya so that they can learn. Dear, I mean, like, I can't even write a note to somebody. I can't even, like, I can't even tell somebody I like him. And this guy's, like, building homes for veterans and giving them to them. This is a big deal. Kindness is relegated to those amazing individuals. It's kind of, like, analogous to the uh, simultaneous kind of amazement and discouragement that one feels when you watch somebody really good at something that you think you're good at. You know what I'm talking about? So, for example, if you're a basketball player and you're watching LeBron James play basketball and he is just so amazing with what he can do in that sport, and then you're thinking to yourself, I'm just going to probably never pick up a basketball again based on what I just saw of him. I wouldn't pick up a basketball anyway because I'm about as coordinated as an ostrich. Um, (laughs) I have no sports abilities whatsoever. In fact, my parents, when I was young, I think they had this working hypothesis that Justin is not coordinated, right? So they were going to test it by placing me in various sports camps up until I'm about nine years old, just to see how badly I failed, right? And so they tried all of them, I mean, tennis, golf, basketball, uh, baseball, you name it. I did them all. And I can remember basketball specifically, right? A week-long camp of basketball that seemed like age range from six to 26, and I was six, okay? I was with all these older people, and um, you're playing like three or four pickup basketball games a day with these very talented 10-year-olds. And I don't want to be there at all. I don't like the movies. I don't enjoy the culture. It's just not my thing. I'm not coordinated, as I said. And so we're playing, probably, I probably played 10 to 15 basketball games over a course of four days. I made one basketball goal the entire week, and it was in the other team's goal. <laughs> I promise. That's not a lie. We even prayed my dad. My dad and I prayed let Justin make a basketball goal. And I did. God answered that prayer, but very ironically. Um, <laughs> That has been the story of my life since. But, but one, that has nothing to do with kindness. Be kind to those that are not coordinated. We need your kindness. Um, so, but if you think about kindness, maybe in terms of musicianship, right? I'm watching somebody that is so good at my instrument that I'm simultaneously thinking, that is amazing, and I just want to put this guitar away and never see it again, right? Kindness is idealized, and so it's relegated to those special individuals, and I'll just do it sometimes because I'm not as good as that guy building houses for veterans, so one, kindness is idealized. Two, kindness is sentimentalized. Sentiment, that's a word that I made up, and it's really cool. So kindness is sentimentalized. That is, it's made very sentimental. Okay, so I, made, uh, I did a Google search of images of kindness, and outside of the, all of the various, you see them right there? This is what shows up, right? Outside of all the various memes that one gets when one Googles kindness, right? Kindness, a kind deed is never forgotten I'm like, are you serious? Have you ever tried to feed a two-year-old something that they don't want to eat? I'm trying to be kind to this child by feeding them and keeping them alive because that is my parental duty. And yet one would think that I'm trying to cast a demon out of this child. A kind deed never goes unnoticed. Yes, it does. I've done plenty of them that nobody seems to care about at all. Kindness memes are fluff. They don't mean anything. So don't put them on your Facebooks. All right, so (laughs) kindness. I did a Google Images search. And this is, tell me what this has to do with kindness. The, dog, the cat loves the dog's ear, but I'm not sure the dog is acting kindly as much as the dog is unaware of what's happening, right? Or two people, aren't, two little boys arm in arm down a road, or a dog that seems like he's trying to maul a fawn, 
or help the fawn, right? This is what happens when we seek kindness. Kindness is ooey gooey and drippy and makes me want to cry. All these, you know, all the, on the Facebook, it's like, I bet you can't watch this video without crying. Why? Why do I want to watch this? It's every kind video that's on Facebook seems to make me want to cry because it's all about getting this emotional ooey gooey experience. And a part of that is that kindness is then simultaneously uh, feminized. It's made associated with the female gender. So women are supposed to be the emotional caring types, but we men, we're, I go out and I kill dinner for my family and I'm independent and I'm logical and all these kinds of gender <laughs> divides that don't make any sense, right? That are off, that are not even true, right? You look at the life of Jesus, a male, by the way, who was a very logical, independent, but also very emotional person. He cries over Jerusalem, he cries over his friend's death. He constantly has compassion on people. So this whole false dichotomy between genders, oh, women are the one who do the kind things. And we men, we go kill things. I don't know what men do, right? We, we, we are the illogical, upstanding, independent one. So the result of this, you could say there's, there's no problem with having these ooey-gooey feelings about kind deeds, right? But the problem is that it takes an ethical imperative, something I'm supposed to do, and it transforms it into an experience that I have. And if I don't get that experience, well, then I'm not going to act kindly. If I do this for somebody and they don't weep and the news company isn't there to film it, then it's I'm, why do it, right? Kindness is transformed from an ethical duty into something that I do because it's ooey-gooey and it makes me feel good and I can watch videos about it over and over again. Does that make sense? So kindness is idealized, it's sentimentalized. Third, kindness is a means to an end. Kindness is a means to an end. And I mean this in two ways. First of all, have you ever noticed how suspicious we are of people who are just purely kind to us? You know what I'm talking about? Somebody comes up to you and hands you a $100 bill for nothing. You don't even know them. You're going to think, what drugs have you planted in my car? Or what favor are you going to ask of me in three weeks? I don't want your money. I don't want to be obliged to you in any way. Kindness is often seen as a manipulative thing. I am kind to you so that I can get my way. But it's also a means to win in a second way. And this is the more subtle type. This is the more Facebook uh, social networking type, right? So think about this for a minute. I do a kind deed, but it's not enough that I do a kind deed for somebody or that I give the sandwich to the homeless person. I have to take a selfie while I do it, right? So that people can see how kind I am. It's a means, of it. it's a means to an end. You know exactly what I'm talking about. I want people to know how kind I am to people. And so I can't just give blood. I have to tell everybody I'm giving blood and then take a picture of myself giving blood because I want everybody to know that I'm the type of person that gives blood to people. See what I mean? And so it's not purely about those that might receive my blood or those that might receive that sandwich or that note. It becomes about me, my perception, what I look like to people. Does that make sense? It becomes a means to an ideal image of me that you should admire. I like those people that take a picture of the note that they wrote somebody. Like, do you understand the genre of a letter it is meant for like certain recipients only and not everybody in your social sphere. All right, here we go. So <laughs> kindness is a means to an end in our culture. And then finally, kindness is uh, episodic. Kindness is episodic. And what I mean by that is that it happens in little episodes in our lives. We can think of the times this year that we've been kind. And it was, well, there's that one day in January and then that one day in March. Then there might be a couple more in September. And those were the times I was kind in this year. So you, uh, you remember about a month ago, um, there was this craze that hit this campus, especially because I still watch you from afar via social media, of the 24-hour challenge, right? Everybody know what I'm talking about? And this is our pastors experiencing that challenge. Um, Trevor's giving the kitty cat hands. He's like, stop the water. Stop that. Um, bottom left there. 
That's great. Jeremy's the top left. You can't see him. Sean's doing a Holy Ghost dance in the top right. And then Blake, our children's and groups pastor, is pouring it on his head. Uh, just to note, Luann, our administrative assistant, did it as well. But her video was so dark, I don't even think it took place. I think it was staged audio. But anyways, so it's this craze, right, where you, everybody pours, goes outside, and it's cold, and you pour water on your head, and et cetera, and it's all great. May all laugh. Um, and, it's, and it was funny, but there's another one going around right now that I don't know if you've seen that started in South Africa called Rack Nomination, a Random Act of Kindness Nomination, which is where people... Um, they do a kind deed in a day and they put it on their Facebook, ironically enough, and then they nominate three other people to do it. And it's really cool. You can see it there. There's the Facebook page for it. It's up to 15,000 likes, which is pretty good for a month old movement. Um, but anyways, so these people are going forth and they're doing these random acts of kindness and nominating other people to do them. And I don't want to discredit that. I think that's really cool. I think it's beautiful. I think that God's in that, even if they're not supposedly Christians, right? But at the same time, I want you to think about the idea of random act of kindness. Think about that. Random in two ways. Random, it's to somebody I usually don't know, and it's just this nice deed that I do. But random also in the sense of it's not something I normally do in my life, right? I'm not normally kind. But today, because I was nominated, I'll do a random act of kindness. So kindness then is transformed from a constant ethical imperative into something I randomly So culture has made kindness, has transformed it from a virtue into just this episodic, it happens in short little moments and then they fade away. And I can tell you the three times I was kind in 2013 and I'm going for four in 2014 versus the everyday kind person, right? So that's the way our culture perceives of kindness. Now, how how might the scriptures complete that picture? How might the scriptures critique that picture or even overthrow that picture? And that's where we find ourselves in 1 Corinthians 13. And so um, the first, I wanna, just as there is four things about culture, I want to share four things. And then we're going to have a response, a very concrete response together. So the first thing that I want to share about, we're going to look at various passages. The first we're going to look at is 1 Corinthians 13, right where you are. But the first thing that we have to understand about kindness, in contrast to all these other things we've been saying, is that kindness is a virtue. Kindness is a virtue. And I mean that in a very literal like greek philosophy sense i don't mean like kindness is a good thing that we should do you have to think about this for a minute greek philosophers talked about virtue in a certain type of way there's two types of there's lots of different approaches to ethics but two of them are virtue ethics which i'm going to talk to in just about a minute and then duty-based ethics or the big fancy word for that is deontology use that in your small group and you make lots of friends right so the deontological ethics an ethics that essentially is concerned with moments so right now how am i kind to somebody Well, I share my meal with them because they're hungry. That moment's over. I pat myself on the back because I obeyed the rule. The next moment, I'll look for another way to be kind. And virtue is going to say, that's all well and good. That's great. You have to be kind in that moment and share your meal. But the virtue, kindness as a virtue in the way the Greek philosophers talked about it is that it's not just concerned with this moment, but is instead concerned with an end goal or a telos. It's, It's concerned with becoming a certain type of person. It's concerned with character. So for the virtue ethicist, it's, kindness is not simply something I do, but something I become. Kindness is like creating, developing a skill or developing an ability in my life. It takes a lot of practice. And the whole goal of virtue is that kindness becomes a second-hand reaction, becomes a knee-jerk reaction to the response that I'm in. That we so train our bodies, our lives, and our souls with the help of the Spirit, according to the Scriptures. We so train ourselves that kindness isn't an episodic, I, I did four kind things this year, but characterizes literally everything that we do. 
right? So th- we used examples of basketball earlier well, and, and, and musicianship. Let's use those again, right? So think about this. There are those who play guitar, and then there are guitar players. You know what I'm talking about? There are those who play guitar, and then there are guitar players. The first category is most guitar players, which is we hold it, we have a guitar, we own it, we get it out occasionally at the campfire, crank out a couple Sister Hazel tunes and make everybody happy, right? And then we put the guitar away and don't touch it for four months. And then the strings get old and it gets gross. There are those individuals, and then there are the guitar players. And I'm talking like the unhealthily obsessed players, the people that sit on the edge of their bed for hours on end. Their mom's calling them for dinner. They're like, Mom, I'm practicing. Leave me alone, right? And just running scales over and over again and playing chords and imitating musicians to the point where they get to this point in their life where you watch them play and it becomes effortless. And they get lost in the instrument. It's like it's a part of who they are. And you get lost as they play it. You know what I'm talking about? Which is a big difference between that person which guitar playing has become a part of their identity and and then the guitar player who just kind of breaks it out to entertain some folks and then they put it away. There's two radically different types of people, even though they're doing the same thing. Well, it's similar with respect to kindness. Kindness is something that um, there are those who do kind deeds and then there are kind people. And that's not to say they're mutually exclusive, but, you know, most of us in the room are probably in the first category, right? We have our four or five things we did or maybe 25 things. I don't know. But then, you know, those people that are just naturally kind, like you leave a conversation with them and you've just been talking about the weather and you just feel so uplifted. You're like, it is raining today. I am so glad I talked to you. You're so nice. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you just make me feel so loved and encouraged. You make me feel, and, and it's, not, it's not disingenuous. It's not trying to get something out of us. It's none of that. It's just a very grounded, solid individual who has made kindness so much a part of who they are that merely being in their presence, you can sense that affirmation. You know what I'm talking about? That's the goal, friends. As Christian people, it's meant to be something, not something that we do in moments, but something that we do in moments in order to become something. And every decision that we make is ultimately making us into something. The mere fact that you showed up this morning says something about your character and is building something about your character. That's what the virtue ethicist would say. So what is kindness exactly? What is this virtue? Well, we could probably define it this way. Kindness is the consistent willing of the good of the other for the sake of the other. The consistent willing of the good of the other for the sake of the other. This is important, both parts. First, that I want your good. I want you to be happy, loved, fed, etc. But for your sake, not so that I get something in return and not so that I look good, but purely for your sake. That's the goal. Every encounter to consistently will the good for the good of that individual. So let's look at how Paul talks about Love. I want to show you, he's going to talk about love and kindness in a virtuous way and not in a duty way. That is, he doesn't want to put love on the other checklist of things to do as a Christian. It's not like, well, I've got to read my Bible today. I've got to pray. I've got to love three or four people today. And then I've got to worship. Like, no, no. He's going to make love something that characterizes everything and not just an individual act, right? So look what he says. And now I will show you the most excellent Way. That's important. Hodon. It means road or path. So love is not something that I do. It's a, it's a journey that I'm on. It's a, I'm on the journey to become something, to become a part of, uh, to become a certain individual. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Notice the contrast. Speak in tongues of men and angels is an action. It's a duty. It's something one does. But then he says, but I have not love. 
Love then is something that is held, something that then can characterize speaking in tongues. The problem for Paul is not the speaking in tongues, but the attitude with which speaking in tongues is done. That is, it is ultimately about creating a posture. Kindness is about creating a character, a posture that permeates all of one's deeds rather than doing kind deed after kind deed after kind deed just for the sake of the deed itself. So he continues, If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. Again, nothing, no problem with faith, no problem with knowledge. The problem is that there is no character of love undergirding it. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames and have not love, I gain nothing. Again, it's an action. The problem is it's, there's no characteristic love or kindness behind it. Four, this is where we're at today. Love is patient. Kind is love. I put it there because that's literally what it is in the Greek. It's juxtaposing patience and kindness. So last week, we learned about what patience is, right? And patience ultimately is the withholding of punishment for somebody that I really want to punish. Somebody that I really want to hurt, I'm going to withhold that. God does that. It's talked about in Romans 2, 4. You can see it. So if patience is the withholding of something bad, kindness then is the, is the other side of the coin. It's not only that I don't do bad things to you when I want to, but it's in, in, in response to that I actually will your good for your sake. That's the positive content of love. And so that is the virtue that, that, that Paul is trying to instill in the Corinthian community. Not that you add something else to your checklist, but that you become a certain type of person. And so um, there's a man by the name of A.J. Jacobs. You can see his picture here. Go ahead and throw that up there. Yeah. He wrote a book called The Year of Living Biblically. He's um, an agnostic. He doesn't really believe much about God. And he does all these kind of gimmicks to make books. And this one worked. Um, But this is where he took about hundreds and hundreds of commands from the Old and New Testament and attempted to live by them for a year. And like literally, I mean, like you can see he grew up the beard, which is commanded in the Old Testament. And you can see as well, like his garments, he never wore garments of two different types of fabric, which is uh, forbidden in the book of Leviticus. One can't have a cotton and a wool garment, right? So he like no polyesters for a year. I mean, like literally tried to do this. And in fact, one of his friends said, well, aren't you supposed to stone those who have committed adultery? And he said, well, I guess I am. And he said, well, I've committed adultery in my life. And so he stood right there that A.J. Jacobs did, and he picked up a bunch of rocks and began to throw them at his friend because he thought, I'm going to attempt to live literally by this book. But what's interesting is he talks about his experience of this. And he said, you know what? I was just doing this for the gimmicks. I was just doing this for the fun. But I began to realize that by simply committing and disciplining myself to do these kinds of things, I became a more moral person. I always thought that I began, if I just change my thoughts, if I could just like will myself to feel more compassionate, then I'll feel more compassionate. But what I discovered is that if I want to be more compassionate, then I just need to start visiting people in the hospital, even though it feels unnatural to me. And he found that after he began to visit people, he's naturally more compassionate. That's virtue building. Just like the guitar player is awkwardly trying to place his hands or her hands to try and get the instrument to do what she wants it to do. And it's weird at first and it hurts. Same thing with kindness. It's awkward. It doesn't make any sense. We discipline ourselves to do it, and over time we find that it's categorizing every conversation that we have. So, let's summarize it this way. Okay. Uh, The virtue of kindness is not a set of deeds we occasionally perform, but a trained skill or attitude that permeates all we do. Kindness is more than something we are commanded to do. It is something we are invited to become. Kindness is something we are invited to become. Kindness is a virtue. Second thing, kindness is a divine quality. Kindness is a divine quality. This is what I want to look at um, Luke chapter 6, 
together. And you don't have to turn there. It should be on the screens. But let's read this together. I'll read it from the screens myself. This is what Jesus is commanding his disciples. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Listen to this. Then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. Why? Because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. You know, last week, Pastor Jeremy talked about the three types of love, right? The, the eros love, which is kind of an erotic love, which is where we get that word from, which is a, a love that is truly concerned with you make me happy or you bring pleasure into my life. Then you have a phileo love, which is a, a, a camaraderie love, a friendship love, a brotherly love. And then you have agape, which is the unconditional love. And Soren Kierkegaard, who wrote the book from which I read earlier this morning, He talks about the first two, eros and phileo. Those two types of love are still self-love. Why? Because I love you in order to get something from you. You make me happy or you make me feel like I'm not alone in the world. You're my friend. He said, but true love is only tested when when the conditions are taken off or those conditions have been broken. And then it's in that moment where we see if we're truly sons and daughters of God. Right? And so he's going to talk about this. This is really, really interesting. He is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. I think in my own life, of kind deeds I perform, right? So sometimes when my wife and my, and my daughter are gone for the afternoon doing whatever they do, and I want to be a good husband in that moment. I'm thinking, I'm going to be a good husband. And, um, and so I'll, like, clean the house. And I mean clean it. I mean I'll dust and I'll sweep and I'll do the dishes and I'll, do the la- I'll, I'll put away the laundry and all these kinds of different things, right? And so and I really want to make the house look amazing when she comes back. And so when she walks in the door, I'm like, oh, hey, hey, babe, how you doing? How was your day? What have you been up to? And she'll say, you know, we went to this and this and this. And the entire time she's talking to me, I'm doing a little gesture over to the kitchen, right? Do you see what I, see what I did over there? Oh, you went to the mall, did you? You should, probably, you should probably wash your hands. You should probably use the sink if you need to use. Why? Because I'm wanting her to say, oh, my goodness, the house looks amazing. You did such a good job. And I'm like... Thanks, right? And I feel so much better about myself because it's ultimately all about one thing, right? It's all about the brownie points, which are like rewards points on a credit card. You can cash those things in for all kinds of different prizes, right? And so, because I, it's, there's, the act is no good if she doesn't notice it. She has to notice it, right? And in that moment, I realize, even though I'm still doing it for her, like 50%, 70%, whatever, however self-deluded I am, there are still these moments. It, it's still a very selfish act, isn't it? If I'm still looking for praise from her, or what about those moments in our own lives, right, where we write that letter to somebody or we take somebody to work or we tutor somebody or help somebody out at work, we compliment them. And you know what? That person had the nerve. They didn't even say thank you. I gave them money. They didn't even write me a thank you note. Can you believe that? You know what I did for them? I gave them a ride to work for a week. They didn't even offer to help me with gas. That's ridiculous. That's the last time I do something good for them. Is that not the way we talk? Right? Don't act so pious. I do it myself, right? That's, not, that's the way we are. Well, fool me once. Joke's on them or whatever it is. <laughs> so joke's on them, right? I got it right. Uh, whatever. All right, so it doesn't matter. I don't know my cliches. Jeremy's really good at those. So, um, but that's, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be fooled again. It's not going to be my, I'm, I'm not going to fall into that trap again. You did it for me. You don't show me, you don't show me any gra- gratitude or you don't change at all because of what I've done for you. That's the last time. I'm going to go take my good deeds somewhere else. You know what God does when we say that? God looks at us and says, you have no idea what it's like 
to provide every need for an individual, to pour out grace and hope on them continually, to watch them not only turn around and spit in your face, but to watch them even say, I didn't even know you existed. You want to talk about ungrateful. We all at one time, friends, were ungrateful and still are for all that God does for us. And yet God still, because of the great love of who he is, still breathes forth love and hope and forgiveness. You see, friends, what's so cool about what Jesus says is that he says, in those moments when you persist in your kindness, even when they've broken your conditions, that's when you know what it's like to be my child. There's a certain grace you learn. You learn what it's like to be like me. And when we learn what it's like to be like God, that's when we find fulfillment and joy and paradoxically what it means to be human. But it takes extreme security to do that, right? I have to, God is secure in God's own person and so continually can give out love. And so I, in order to do that, I have to be secure in the love and identity of God. In fact, my dad he often talks about in his own life, he says, in which I've kind of attempted to adopt in mind imperfectly, imperfectly. Um, he says that whenever he encounters somebody that he's somewhat jealous of and he, he feels insecure around because they're more talented or more successful than he, he, approach, he makes himself go to them. He makes himself center himself in Christ and go to them and compliment them. He makes himself do it as a means of disarming that insecurity in him and as a means of training himself in kindness. It takes security, but to show kindness, even when our conditions have been broken, is to participate in what it means to be a child God. And that's the ultimate reward. So maybe we can summarize the point this way. An authentic conception of kindness begins with an unadulterated understanding of the character of God. To participate in unconditional kindness is to discover what it means to be a child of God. To to participate in unconditional kindness is to discover what it means to be a child of God. So kindness is a virtue. Kindness is a divine quality. Third, kindness is a story. Kindness is a story, and I'm going to hurry here. But we're in Titus chapter 3 now. We're all over the New Testament. Isn't that wonderful? Titus chapter 3, a book that I hadn't read in a long time until this sermon. Um, but in this, in this part, that Paul is writing to Titus, who's leading a church on the Isle of Crete. And he's telling them to exhort his congregation to do specific things. And this is what he tells them. Let's read this together. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to show true humility toward all men. So tell them to do good things, essentially. And here's what he's going to do. He's not going to justify this command because I told you so, right? He's not going to say, do it because I tell you so. He's going to justify the good works with a story. Let me tell you a story here. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved. This is alienation from ourselves. We're deceived and enslaved, have no ability to change our lives. And then we're alienated from God, disobedient, right? And enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. And then we're not only alienated from ourselves and God, but we're alienated from others. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Paul is writing your story for you. Whether or not you feel this is your story, Paul's writing you into it. It's quite beautiful. So, but... When the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Kindness of God, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. How did he save us? He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. So cleansing us of all unrighteousness and then renewing all life within us. The Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal 
life. This is a trustworthy saying. And so look what he's going to do. On the basis of this story that is our story, he's going to tell Titus, I want you to stress this story. I want, you to trust. I want you to tell them over and over again who they used to be and now who they are simply by the mercy and the grace of God. Why? So that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. So Paul is going to say, you want to know why you do good deeds? It has nothing to do because America thinks it's the right thing to do. It has nothing to do with simply because, well, God asks you to do it. It has everything to do with because of the story that God has written in your life. Such that kindness and good deeds then become an outworking of gratitude rather than an outworking of obligation. And so even in those moments when we're so frustrated with that idiot who will not thank us for being kind or not change because we're being nice to them. God is going to want us to see the world through his character and see the world through our story such that we look at them and we realize, oh my goodness, I was the same way. That's me pre Sovereign grace of God just interrupting my world. I, have no, I had no idea what kindness was until God stepped in and breathed grace into who I am. If we can view the world through our story and find our identity in our story, rather than in just some kind of obligation that I'm supposed to write a thank you note to somebody, but see the world. My worth is not found in how much I get done. My worth is not found in my job or my checkbook. My worth is not found in how good of a family I have. You know what your worth is found in? Your worth is found in the mere fact that God whispered grace into your heart and, you found, and he found you and you now have eternal life in him. That's worth. And if I can act out of that identity, then that's where I find kindness. Kindness then is just, oh God, if that's what you've done for me, then I just want to act, I just want to respond in, kind, in gratitude with kind deeds. That makes sense. So it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a seeing the world through our story that God is writing. And maybe the problem is we just haven't experienced the grace of God in a long time. So my prayer is that God might pour that out on us today. So that as we receive it, we might just knee-jerk reaction, respond in kindness because we see the world through his story and not through something else. Not through what we think that individual should be, but what we think God wants to do in that individual. The story that God wants to write in them. So maybe we could summarize the point this way. Yeah, our ability to will the good of others is directly correlated with our understanding of the story God is writing in our lives. Seen through the lens of God's mercy, kindness is not born of obligation, but gratitude. Kindness is not born of obligation, but gratitude. My last point, um, so we've got kindness is a virtue, kindness is a divine quality, kindness is a story, and finally last, kindness is eternal. Eternal. Um, I don't want to take away from what the end of the series will get at, but at the very end of this passage, the passage we've all heard read at weddings, right, in 1 Corinthians 13, he says that these three remain faith, hope, and love. Right? So love, what he means is not that love is just some great thing that has a lasting quality. No, he means that love has something eternal about it. Such that whatever kindness we are performing ultimately has an eternal impact, not only on our characters. That is, that the kindness that we, what we're doing now is kind of rehearsing for the kingdom of God, if you will. And so whatever kindness we build up in ourselves, whatever kind character we have, is ultimately intended to lead toward being a kind person in the kingdom of heaven. It's kind of cool. It's like a dress rehearsal for that. But also it's eternal in the impact that it has on other people. And we can see this in just the eternal memories we have of those who have been kind to us. Right? So those four things are so important about kindness and the way that we conceptualize it. And I want to conclude with a story and a psychological study. A story is a familiar story, the story of the Good Samaritan. If you've grown up in church or been a part of church for any length of time, you know this story. In Luke chapter 10, 
a person approaches Jesus and asks him, how might he inherit eternal life? And Jesus asks him, well, what are the commandments? And the, and, the, and the guy replies and says, well, to love the Lord your God and to love my neighbor as myself. And Jesus, and, and the man asks him, but who is my neighbor? So Jesus doesn't say, well, your neighbor is the guy that lives next to you, doofus. No, he says, let me tell you a story about a neighbor. And so he tells a story about a man who's traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. And on the way, he is attacked by a band of robbers. It's a very treacherous journey. He's attacked, attacked by a band of robbers who steal all he has and leave him for dead on the side of the road. And first, a priest approaches him, sees the man in need, and, and says that he passed along the other side of the road. Then a Levite who was in charge of kind of the various, taking care of the temple at that time, he sees him as well and he ignores him and passes on the other side of the road. But a Samaritan approaches. Now, a Samaritan at that time were enemies of the Jews. They were considered half-breeds by the Jews. They were considered religiously illegitimate. They had no worth to the Jews. But the Samaritan passes by, sees the man in need, says that he treats his wounds, binds his wounds, puts him on his donkey, takes him to an inn. And then at that inn, uh, he pays the innkeeper two days' wages so that the man can care for him in all of his needs. And he says, whatever expenses you have extra, I'll take care of. And Jesus said, so which one was the neighbor to the man in need? And he said, well, obviously the one who had mercy. It's a beautiful story. Well, what's so cool about this story? Yeah, that's a painting of Vincent Van Gogh's representation of the passage. And what's so cool about this story is that they attempted, well, what's cool is that they attempted to recreate this in a psychological study in 1970 with a bunch of Princeton Seminary students to see what was it that actually motivated people to act kindly. And so they got 67 Princeton Seminary students and they brought them in first for an initial questionnaire. They told them that the survey was just about vocation and ministry. So they brought them in for a questionnaire and they filled out a bunch of questions. And then they could only get 40 of them to come back for a second time. They said, you know, we didn't get all the information that we needed in the first questionnaire. So we're going to need you to come back in. So 40 students come back in, seminary students, right? And they're told, look, we need to get more data from you. If you can just go, if you can, if you can give a three to five minute speech on a topic that we give you. I said, okay. And um, they said, but the problem is, is that we don't have enough room in this building to really get the recording that we need. So we're going to need you to travel just down an alleyway to another building. I said, okay, well, we can do that. No problem. So she came up to them and she drew them directions on a card of how to get to the building. Here's the trick. On the way, they're having to pass through an alleyway and they're going to eventually encounter a staged victim in need who would sit in a doorway. And whenever the person approached, he would kind of groan. And like cough, like, I'm sick, I need help, right? And to see how people responded. Well, the variables were two. The first is they had some, half of the students give a speech on ministry vocation. That what is, what's the good job for a minister? And then what, what is the job of a minister? And then the second group, they had preach on the, or give a three to five minute talk on the Good Samaritan parable itself, okay? Like, like planting it in their brains to see if that had an impact. And then the second variable, so the one was the type of speech. The second variable was the timing. That is, for a third of the people, they told them that they were actually running late to the speech. You have to get there as soon as you can. They're waiting for you now. You're running late. You've got to get there and give that speech. The second group, they said, was kind of an intermediate hurry. They just said, it's going to be ready at any minute. If you can get over there, they'll be ready for you. And then the third was a low hurry. It was like, they'll be ready for you in, in, in you know, five or ten minutes. Get over there, get settled, and then they'll take you in. So the hurry variable and the speech variable. And then they saw if how, they, how and if they reacted to this man in need. And if they approached the man in need and said, do you need any help? He's supposed to tell them no. But if they persisted, he was supposed to allow them to take them to a coffee shop, hospital, etc. Where he could get some help. Right? Guess what they found? You know what had no effect on whether they helped or not? 
One, the first thing that had no effect was their type of religion. That is, they're all Christians, but were they religious because they loved God? Or they're religious because their parents told them to be? Were they religious because they thought it was a beautiful meaning to life? None of that mattered. The second thing, the talk had no impact. 53% of those who did the Good Samaritan talk stopped to help the man in some way. 29% of those that gave the kind of task-oriented talk stopped to help. 14% difference isn't much. You know what the number one factor was in helping this guy? The hurriness. They found that 63% of those that were in the low hurry group that thought they had plenty of time stopped to help the man. 45% of those that thought they had just a little bit of time stopped to help the man. And only 10% of those who thought they were running late didn't do anything. In some cases, they even stepped over the man's body. You know what that shows us? That kindness oftentimes has nothing to do with how religious we are, has nothing to do with what we think is right. It has everything to do with how much of a hurry we are in life. Because you know what hurriedness does? It takes my vision that's this big and it puts, I've got to get to work. I am late. Oh my goodness, I'm going to get in so much trouble. I've got to get home. I've got to get someplace. I've got all these things to do. And we think busyness is something to hold up as a trophy. I've just been so busy lately, right? Look at all these great appointments I have. No, and Jesus was a man who walked everywhere. He had he just made time for anybody and any, anyone and anywhere that people needed him. So we're always in a hurry. If we could just stop and practice kindness, just take, see the world not through our wonderfully busy schedules that we're so proud of, but see the world through the divine quality of God that we have experienced in our story. And we could see the world through his eyes and find that, you know what, a, a life is ultimately worth nothing if we have huge bank, account, uh, huge bank accounts and great work successes, but we are not kind. A life is worth everything as if at the end someone says, you know what, that guy, she was a kind person. He was a kind person. That person reminded me of Jesus. And so this morning, we've got time. <laughs> Not much. We've got time. You were handed a card when you got here with some stationery. Uh, you were handed an envelope and some stationery. And none of us are in a hurry right now. If you are, then you can leave. Um, but none of, we all have time this morning to practice kindness together. And remember, this is not just about writing a card, but this is ultimately about becoming a kind person. So what we're going to do, if you need a card, if you didn't get one, there are ushers that have them and we can give you pins as well. But what we're going to do is we're going to take five or six minutes. We're going to have you, I want you to write a letter, a kind letter to somebody in your life. It can be the person who is in, somebody in your home. It could be your, the person who does your dry cleaning, the person who picks up your trash. It can be the person who um, cuts your hair, whoever. Just somebody that's going through a hard time at work, whomever. I want us to practice being kind this morning. So we're going to take a few moments, write a quick, encouraging letter, just whatever you want to say. It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be beautiful. Just kindness. It may feel unnatural. It may feel, I just don't feel like doing it. Well, we're practicing being the people of God this morning. And so um, at the end of this time, what we're going to do is if you want us to mail them, we can. We'll pay for the postage. We'll front the 50 cents or whatever it is. And you can hand that to an, uh, uh, an usher and we'll mail it for you. But if you prefer to hand it, you don't have the address on hand, I'd encourage you to do so. But we're just going to take six minutes, seven minutes. We're not in a hurry right now. Our vision is big and expanded. We're trying to be kind people, right, with the help of the Spirit of God. So I'm going to pray for us. We're going to take a few minutes, and then Jeremy will come and close the service. But let's pray together. God, um, we trust that kindness is something that your Spirit wants to work in us to make us look like your children. And so today, Lord God, these attempts, as we attempt to practice it in a moment where we're not in a hurry on a Sunday afternoon in rainy March, God. 
that you would take this moment and edify and, and add to it so that it might edify our own character, but most importantly, edify those that receive this kind act. May this card, may these cards go forth and impact the world in a kind and loving way that they may see a kind and loving God who you, your kindness transformed our lives. So God, anoint these cards, anoint our minds, anoint our hands to write lovingly as you would have us write. But more importantly, make us into your people who look like you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.